This message is going to be geared towards believers. But if you're an unbeliever here, stay tuned because there is application for you this morning. So um, hold tight. Don't turn me off. Uh, Just bear with us. But brothers and sisters, I believe Christmas is losing its meaning in America. Wouldn't you say so? I mean, what's happening to Christmas, right? I was just uh, explaining to my wife and children, or not explaining, but highlighting to them on the way here how back in the day, everything was decorated, right? All around us, you know, would have some type of Christmas ornament or uh, Christmas cards and, and, and with, with uh, the Star of Bethlehem, uh, manger scenes and so on and so forth, but uh, that's a foregone conclusion now, right? Um, now, I think Christmas is losing its meaning in America amongst many Christians, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, okay? And I say that because a lot of Christians, and I'm not talking about you, brothers and sisters, but a lot of Christians in America don't even know how to articulate the meaning of Christmas, right? I mean... It should be a concern to us when we hear Christians say things like Christmas is all about giving, right? What does that mean? Christmas is all about giving. Or Christmas is all about caring for the poor and less fortunate, right? Now, these things are true, and Christians should be doing this, but that's not what Christian mean, or, uh, Christmas means, right? That's not the meaning of Christmas, So I'm not knocking these things, brothers and sisters. We should be doing these things. A brother and sister in our church, or brother and his wife in our church, was out, I think it was yesterday, uh, sharing um, packets with the poor and needy, which is a good thing. And I wanted to be there, but I was preparing this message. So we should be doing these things, but we don't want to confuse the message of Christmas, okay, with things like this. Here's one. How about this one? It's going to get some of you. Christmas is all about Jesus Christ, right? You know, we got to get Jesus in there, right? You got to say something about Jesus if you're really going to understand Christmas and what it means, right? But even Christmas is about Jesus falls short of the meaning of Christmas, brothers and sisters. And we don't want to just stop with the little baby in the manger that we all come to bow down to and worship. That's a good start, but that doesn't explain what Christmas means. And what I think is happening to us in America is, excuse me, we are surrendering to pressure, the pressure of the world to compromise the meaning of Christmas. Okay? Meaning there's a battle going on, brothers and sisters, And we play a role in that. And the world's putting pressure on us to change the meaning of Christmas or to forsake the meaning of Christmas and just do what? Celebrate. Celebrate the holidays, right? Celebrate uh, who knows what. Just celebrate. But don't start talking about the meaning of Christmas. And you and I know why, brothers and sisters, don't we? Hmm? Let's be honest this morning. The world doesn't like the meaning of Christmas. Okay? In fact, the world is calculated to stamp out the meaning of Christmas. They don't want to hear it. Because we as, Christian, we as Christians know that it's offensive to the world, right? The true meaning of Christmas is offensive to the world. Okay? And we have to factor that in. And we can't be afraid to share that message. All right? Even though it's offensive to the world. And so what I want to talk to you this morning about is how you and I can articulate the meaning of Christmas. How you and I not only need to articulate it, but we need to reflect the meaning of Christmas in the way we celebrate. And we can't allow the world to put pressure on us to compromise that. 
to where we celebrate Christmas like who? The world, right? And Christmas loses its meaning. You guys know what I mean? Know what I'm talking about here? Okay, two things I want you to keep in mind this morning as we reflect uh, on the meaning of Christmas. The first question is, has the celebration of Christmas become more important to you than its meaning? Has the celebration of Christmas become more important to you than the meaning of Christmas? If it has, Satan got you. Okay? As a Christian, Satan has got you right where he wants you. Right? See, the world and the devil want the celebration of Christmas to block out the meaning of Christmas, to drown out Christians from speaking about the real reason for the season. You understand? And if we buy into that, all we're doing with the world is having one big party, aren't we? You know, Santa Claus is coming to town, you know, those sorts of things. He sees you when you're sleeping. Really? That sounds like God to me. Wouldn't you say? Hmm, what's wrong with this picture? This is serious, brothers and sisters, right? <clears throat> Second question. Can you as a Christian articulate the meaning of Christmas? If someone were to ask you point blank, what does Christmas mean? Would you be able to articulate the meaning of Christmas and glorify your Savior? Right? So two questions. Has the celebration of Christmas become more important to you than the mean its meaning? And can you as a believer articulate Christmas? <clears throat> now, let me give you the outline for the talk this morning. First of all, I'm going to explain uh, that Christmas is all about a prophecy. Christmas begins with a prophecy, and it's a prophecy of warfare, all right? Secondly, Christmas is all about the fulfillment of that prophecy, all right? And then the third thing we're going to talk about is Christmas is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know you know that, brothers and sisters, but it's good for us as Christians to be reminded of this, right? Because you and I are responsible to give hope to the world through this gospel. And there's not a better time than to do it than when? During Christmas, right? And I believe this is what God expects of us as his people to be doing with Christmas, above all else, all right? Is to make sure that we are communicating the gospel to people who need it, giving them hope helping them to see the reason for the season, okay? So let's pray and ask God to bless his word to our hearts this morning uh, that we might glorify him and how we celebrate this season. God, we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your plan, your, your, your marvelous, wonderful salvation plan. And we thank you that the fall of Adam and Eve didn't catch you off guard, Lord, but that you, from before eternity passed, decided to send Christ into the world to redeem those who have fallen, we in this room. And God, we know that this is what this season is all about. We know that this is what Easter is all about. We know that this is what all the holy days that we celebrate are all about, is you and your love for sinners and how you have t taken it upon yourself to not only plan a way, but to make sure and see to it that it happened so that we can have hope. And so I pray that this hope would be proclaimed from this pulpit this morning that Christ would be magnified for the sovereign king and ruler that he is. And we ask it all for his glory. Amen. Okay, so let me ask you this morning. As Christians, what makes Christmas special for us? I mean, is it the gifts that we receive? Is it the food? Is it the Christmas music? You know, I love Johnny Mathis and Nat King Cole. 
you got to have Johnny Mathis and Nat King Cole in your celebration of Christmas, okay? That's just a sidebar there. Or is it the movies that we watch? Home Alone 1 and 2, how many of you have seen that? <laughs> right? Or the Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3 with Tim Allen? No? Okay, well, the Christmas story? How about the Grinch? It's a Wonderful Life, yes. Christmas Carol, that's right. Which version, uh, Sharon? With George C. Scott? Of the animated, okay. All right, we'll go with the animated. Right. Brothers and sisters, now, now, I want to be careful here because I want to strike a balance, right? I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be a Grinch up here, you know, and, and throw water on your fire for Christmas. But the world has done an excellent job in distracting us in terms of what Christmas is all about, right? I mean, everything I just mentioned, right? I don't think any of those things reflect the true meaning of Christmas, not even the Scrooge and the Christmas Carol. That has nothing to do with repentance of sin, right? It's goodwill. It's peace on earth to men, but it misses the whole point. You guys know what I'm talking about. And yet, we make so much of this during Christmas, don't we? Or at least I did. And God had to convict me of that. When I, be, when I began to reflect upon the true meaning of Christmas, right? Now let me say this. The world wants Christmas to be all about Santa, Rudolph, and Frosty the Snowman, right? Because it's fun, it's worry-free, and our kids like it, right? It keeps their attention. I mean, who wants to hear about a baby in a manger? Who wants to hear about sin and death? And who wants to hear about suffering after they've heard about Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? You see what I'm saying? See, the world understands that. The devil understands that because, see, they want to make it extremely hard for us Christians to talk about the real meaning of Christmas. Don't come with all that Jesus stuff. Don't, oh, man, we're having a party here. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny, right? Just keep everything upbeat and fun, and right? But don't start talking about the baby in a manger and why Jesus had to come. And, you know, we'll, we'll endure it, but don't, don't do too much of that. You guys know what I'm talking about. We want to keep everything around here upbeat and happy. Happy, 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 right? Don't worry. Be happy. That's the motto of the world. That's what the devil wants you to be preoccupied with while he takes away the meaning of the season. You understand? See, brothers and sisters, we cannot forget we cannot lose sight in this world that you and I are in a battle. That's the context that we're in. We're in enemy territory and will always be that way until Christ returns to set up his kingdom. Do you understand? And Christmas is right at the center of that. Christmas is a microcosm of this battle. Follow me? So don't think to yourself, don't think, hey, you know what? I wonder why, you know, Christmas is, I wonder why people are, you know, leaving out Jesus and, and why Merry Christmas is like code for Christians now, right? If, you say, if somebody says Merry Christmas, oh, they must be a Christian. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like code now. We don't use Merry Christmas around here, right? It's Happy Holidays or Winter Solsta or Winter Festival or whatever, but not Merry Christmas. Why? Why? Well, you and I know why. Christians know why. Because the devil's at work, we're in a battle, and he's working overtime to destroy the message of the gospel. He couldn't destroy Jesus, right? Like he tried. And so now, 
Now that he couldn't destroy the Christ child, he goes after those who know what it's all about. Right? And he wants you and I to compromise this message. So men, women, boys, and girls don't get saved. You understand? See, we're in a battle, brothers and sisters. We are. And the way we celebrate Christmas reflects that, whether you realize it or not. The way you do Christmas says to the world, either you're for the kingdom of God and his glory, or you're making the world feel very comfortable right where they're at. You guys understand? You know, don't worry, be happy. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to what? Die. Comfortable in their hopelessness. But we have the hope of the gospel. We have the message that brings life. So let me show you why <clears throat> or how all this got started. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, this is where Christmas actually begins. Genesis chapter 3. Christmas begins with a prophecy of warfare. So if you recall, um, God gave our first parents, Adam and Eve, a command. And with that command was a warning. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die, right? Well, guess what? Adam and Eve ate thereof, and death entered this existence because of that choice. Romans chapter 5. By one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. Okay? The wages of sin is death. All right? And as a result of that choice, God being responsible for this creation, God being responsible for what he's made, steps in. And in verse 14, he says this, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, let me say this. This is a side note. Now, we might think that <coughs> this is myth, this is fairy tale, but think about it, brothers and sisters. Go out and look at a snake, and what is it doing? It's on its belly. Wow. Hmm. Do you know most of the things that the Bible talks about, we can see all around us. The evidence is all around us. For example, how do you explain the rainbow? Do you know it's in Scripture? God says, I will set my bow to remind you, Noah, that I'll never flood the earth again. And we might think that that's myth and fairy tale, but one day we look up at after a rain and we see, hey, what's that up there? That bright, beautiful thing. Rainbow. The evidence is all around us, brothers and sisters, right? But this is truth. You understand? So don't write it off as a myth or fairy tale when the evidence is all around you. For example, God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely what? Ah, what's death? We don't know what that is, right? Every day, somebody what? And guess what? So are you one day, right? The evidence is all around us that this is truth, okay? So don't write it off because of what you're hearing in the schools. Don't write it off because of your own thinking and your own opinions. Test it. God says, come, reason with me. Test me, try me, prove me. He's true. Anyway, back to this point. Verse 15, here's the prophecy. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's Satan and Eve. And check this out. And her seed, or I'm sorry, and between your seed and her seed. That term seed in the Hebrew means progeny, offspring. And you know what 
The narrative Moses is referring to here, or God, I should say. You know what, what God is referring to here by the seeds? What he's saying here, brothers and sisters, is I will put enmity between the offspring of the devil and the offspring of Eve, right? Now, don't do this. We automatically go to, yeah, the offspring of Eve is Christ, right? And that's true, but it's not just Christ. Guess who else is the offspring of Eve? Who? Everyone who what? Believes. You understand? That's how you need to understand this prophecy. See, there's only two lineages on the planet. You are either of the kingdom of Satan and you're either an offspring of the devil or you're offspring of Christ through faith in him. Now, that's what I want to show you, okay? And that's where this warfare is started, okay? You guys tracking with me so far? Now, watch. Immediately after this prophecy, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 4, And watch what Cain does to who? Abel. Huh. Now, the Bible says that Cain was of the wicked one, who? The devil. Right? We read about that in 1 John. I don't have time to turn there. I would do so if you guys are not familiar with your Bibles, but you can read it sometime. Just look it up in 1 John. It says that Cain killed his brother Abel because he was jealous of him. Because his works were righteous and God accepted him and his brothers, I mean, his works were evil and his brothers were righteous, right? But the point that I'm trying to highlight here is we can see this battle right from the Gideon, right from the start. You understand? Cain was of the wicked one. And he persecuted his brother who was of who? The line of Christ. His brother Abel who put his faith in the promised one. See how it works? Okay? So you have these, this lineage that works all the way from here, yes, until where? Bink. Right there. The birth of Christ. You understand? Here's the point, brothers and sisters. You guys realize that unless Jesus came into the world and did what he did, No one could be saved. You understand? So the reason why the the reason why God can save people in between that time is because God is good as his what? His word, right? So who's gonna stop God from doing what he wants to do? So God can say, you know what, Abel, you're saved. And he can say to Jacob and and, and he can say to Sarah, and he can say to Moses, and, and Aaron, and Ruth, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. But on what basis? What basis can God justify a sinner? Is it on their righteousness? No. On whose righteousness then? Christ, Right? Well, he had to come into life at some point and be righteous. You understand? It's not just a thought. Christ actually had to fulfill all righteousness at the end of time, Hebrew says. Right? See, if he didn't do that, okay, then every, everyone that God pronounced clean, saved, all throughout the history before that would be a wash. You understand? And this is where the devil enters in and gets to work with his lineage, right? Now you know why when Jesus came on the scene, Herod tried to what? Kill him. Because Satan knew from the beginning, hey, I want to stop this from happening. I'm going to kill the Christ child. If, If I can kill the Christ child, I got the juggler to all this, right? See, the message of the gospel and saving people is secondary to this. If I can stop the Christ child from fulfilling his mission, I got it. You understand? I'm not talking about ones and twos not getting saved if I can get the Christ child. 
I'm talking about nobody gets what? Saved. Do you understand that? No one. Because it's on that basis and that basis alone that God receives and rejects sinners. Either you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, or you don't. And you have to face God on your own. Do you understand? And Satan knows that. And so Satan went to work, and he tried to kill Jesus right from his conception. Right? After him. But not only that, he also tried to get Jesus in the wilderness, right? Remember the great temptation? Brothers and sisters, that, that's not a game. That's not a mis- you know, that's not something that God says, oh, let's just, let's just set this up so people can look at it and, and we can do a lot of preaching from it, right? We can talk about it. No, that was a, it's warfare. There's a battle going on. Satan was trying to get Jesus to sin just once. That's all he had to do, one time. Our lives are full of sin, right? There's not a day that goes by that we, we don't sin. You, you get that, right? But if Jesus sins one time, Satan says, got him, got it. And all humanity is ruined. You understand that? See how important this coming is? You see how important Christmas is? You see what's going on here. You guys know what I'm talking about. This is huge. Right? And not only did Satan try to uh, knock Jesus off his throne through the temptation, even in the garden. How many of you have seen Mel Gibson's, and I'm not endorsing it, but I'm just asking, okay? How many of you have seen Mel Gibson's rendition of the, of, of, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's called The Passion, right? How many of you have seen that? I, I've seen that movie, okay? And one of the things that I appreciate that, about that movie is the graphic nature of it, because that graphic nature helped me to realize, I was like, man, God, you went through that? And he did. The Bible actually describes it that way, that his visage was marred beyond recognition. Do you understand that? This man was beaten to a pulp. Do you understand? I'm like, what is going on here? Why does humanity do that kind of stuff to another human being? Do you understand that? that should, all of us should be, have our jaws dropped. Just what is happening to us? Well, we can do that to another human being. You understand? Satan was in the garden right with Jesus, okay? And his one last ditch effort to try to get Jesus to compromise what he was doing. And Jesus cried out, Lord, if there's another way, let this cup, what? Pass from me. Because I don't really want to have to do this if there is another way. And the horrific pressure that that man was under, for our sakes, brothers and sisters, I don't think any of us will be able to comprehend it, not even through a movie, right? We just have to shut down and say, Lord, I don't get it. Just be merciful to me, the sinner, Lord. Just be merciful to me. Have mercy on this poor, wretched soul. You understand? What's the point in all this? The point is the devil knew that he could stop, if he could stop Jesus from accomplishing his mission, no one would get saved, and there would be no reason for the season. There would be no Christ child stuff. Wouldn't celebrate this stuff. Okay? So, Christmas is all about a prophecy of warfare, first and foremost, brothers and sisters. Not Santa, not the Grinch, and not even little baby Jesus, you know, cute baby Jesus. No, it's warfare. Understand? And let me show you. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to jump all the way to the fulfillment of the prophecy, and that brings us to the fulfillment of the prophecy. And I'm going to look at Matthew's account. Luke has his account too. And 
if you'll notice the genealogies, family tree. Well, I'm sorry. Let's, let's, let's stay in Genesis first. I, I have some things I want to show you guys before we, we move to uh, Matthew. Um, in Genesis, we, we talked about Cain, who was of the wicked one, and he tried to ki- or he did kill his brother, and he killed his brother for religious purposes or spiritual purposes. His, he was rejected by God, but his brother's, uh, his brother's uh, was received by God. Now, let's ask a question. What do you think Abel was trying to do with his brother Cain to get him killed? Witnessing, right? Sharing. Bro, you can't get right with God through your works. Come on, right? Cain didn't kill him for no reason. Cain killed him because Abel reminded him, you're not right. You're not right before the Lord, and you know it. And he probably got tired of hearing that message. You understand? Turn over to uh, verse 16. This is Genesis chapter 4. And this is the line of Cain and what they were known for in the earth. The Cain, uh, are you with me? Verse 16. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Okay, went out from the presence of the Lord, a fugitive, a vagabond, and a wanderer on the earth. No fatherly care any longer, disconnected from God, down here on the planet to fend for himself, wandering about life and death and so on and so forth. No father. Right? Watch what he does on the planet. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. That's not the Enoch who's the seventh from Adam. We'll read about him in a minute. And he built a city. Hear that? So men weren't in caves, you know, digging up dirt and, you know, going around like monkeys. He built a what? City. That's what Cain's descendants did. Not only did he build a city, listen, after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mehilhuhal, I think. Okay? I'm going to struggle, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> and he begot Methushael. Methushael. Did I get that right, Phil? Okay? This is an easy one here. And he begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives, the name of one Ada and the name of the second Zilha. And Ada bore Jabal, listen, and he was the father of those who dwelt in tents and have livestock. Wow. Cain, in his line, was very what? Industrious on the earth. They gave themselves to things like building cities and carpentry and, and music and and. and uh, and livestock and cattle. They made a life out of that on the earth, right? You guys with me? Let's keep reading. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. Musicians. Tubal Cain, the tuba. Tubal Cain, all right? Then Lamech said to his wife, okay, now let's, let's so you, you guys get the point. Now watch, watch the other line, track with me. This is right after, gen, this is right after the prophecy, right? Watch. Uh, look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him who? Seth. Now watch what Eve says. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel. Whom Cain killed. Now watch this. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born and named him Enosh. Then men began to do what? Call upon the name of the Lord. See the difference between the two lines? You got one line, Cain's, who's industrious, who's making a name in the earth and doing all this stuff. You got another line where they're praying. 
You understand? Churchgoers. You understand? People who know God. People who make that their heritage on the earth. Walking with the Lord. Praying to God. Living out the faith. You say, ah, but yeah, but that's a stretch. You're reading too much into that. That's not, that's not really what the narrator's doing here. Let's keep reading. So if you look at chapter 5, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created him, he made him in his likeness, in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and he begot his own son in his likeness after his image named who? Cain, right? Or Abel, right? No. Who's name there? Seth. Cain's not even mentioned. Do you understand? And if you trace this whole line, mentioned in, in chapter 5, and you trace it and compare it with Luke, guess where it leads all the way to? Jesus. Do you understand? The people of God on the planet who by faith put their trust in the promises of God, starting with Abel. You guys with me? And you and I, who have the truth, should be teaching our children how to call upon the name of the Lord. Just like Abel did. And just like his boy did. And just like his boy did. And just like his boy did. All the way down the line. And lead salvation to the Lord. You guys with me? Cain's not mentioned in this line. And none of his descendants are mentioned in this line. Because they were the wicked one. The seed of the woman, or not the seed of the woman, the seed of the devil. They were doing the devil's work on the planet. Cain didn't want anything to do with the gospel. He rejected that so much that he killed his brother. Who was moving him? The devil. You guys understand? Let's turn to chapter 6 now. You ready? And what I'm doing, you guys, is I'm trying to give you guys an idea of how you should read your Bible. There's a flow. See the way I'm taking you through it? If, if you read it the way some scholars, or t scholars will tell you to or on your own, it'll be all choppy. You'll be like, what's Genesis chapter 1 and 2 have to do with 3? And what does 3 have to do with 4, 5, and 6? And why is God just breaking in with the genealogy? But see how it flows now? The two lines, and then God mentions Cain and what they were doing on the earth. Then he goes over to Seth and how people began to call upon the name of the Lord because God is highlighting the history of humanity. And it doesn't matter whether you're Chinese or Middle Eastern or African or American. All of us should be teaching this to our children. Not American history, not Chinese history, biblical history. This is, the, this is our history. This is what it's all about. You understand? This unites us all. You see? Now, in chapter 6, and we'll, we'll stop here for the Genesis record. I'd love to continue on. But now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, you know who the sons of God are? The line of who? Seth began to mix with who? Cain's line. You understand that? And the earth began to corrupt itself as a result of that. You guys with me? And I'm mentioning that because that's the lesson for us. We as the people of God are not to mix with the unholy seed, if you will. Now, Having said that, I know we got to be careful. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, I don't say that to get legalistic, and I don't say that, you guys, to become holier than thou and all that. Just bear with me. I can't say it all in one sermon. But my point is this. The Bible has a record where the Holy Seed, the children of God, began to mix and mingle with who? Unbelievers. The sons of men saw that the, the, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were what? beautiful. They're like, wow, she's a knockout. By God's grace, of course. But they wanted it. And, and you guys, this plays itself out all throughout our history, right? God told Israel not to mix and match with who? The people around you. Why? Because you're going to corrupt the holy seed. He's not saying by that, that don't love them. He's not, God, God's not prejudiced. God's not a racist. 
God is trying to preserve the lineage of grace and the history of faith on the earth. And we corrupt ourselves. We grow corrupt. We start mixing and matching. We start introducing things like Santa Claus into Christmas. We start doing things like talking about the Easter bunny along with Jesus Christ. Bunnies don't have eggs. Duh. Right? See, and before you know it, we're mixing and we're mingling. And guess what? The meaning is taken right out. You know those Christians, man? They're a bunch of what? Hypocrites. Or, if we're not hypocritical, not us, by the way. The other one's out there. Okay? Or, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Okay? Or, you know... Those Christians, there's something different about them. Nah, they're just like us. They talk like there's something different about them, but when we get close to them, they like what we like. You know, men, right? We like the, the, the Megan Foxes on the Transformer kind of girl, right? Or we like the Beyonce. You know, that's got it all, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? But we don't look for the godliness in them anymore. Right? And we start mixing and mingling and getting real close with the world. And God says, hold on. What are you doing? Who, me, Lord? Yeah, you. Where's your values? Where's your trust? Where's your hope? Where's your confidence? Who's it in? You understand? See what Christmas is all about? We are at war, brothers and sisters. We are. We're in enemy territory. That's what faith says about this life. We walk by faith, not by sight. We trust the word of God and how it filters life. Not our feelings, not our perspectives, and not the so-called experts. You guys with me? Because they will rob you of your faith if you let them. If you let them. Because they're already set against God in his ways. You understand? And Christmas is no exception. It's no exception. The world has put pressure on us to compromise the meaning of Christmas through celebration, right? Meaning, hey, you know those Christians? We'll, we'll party with them, and we'll make Christmas fun, and they'll stop talking about the gospel, but don't say anything. You know, the, 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 and, and so you and I, when we go to the Christmas parties or whatever, it, you know, we, we're all awkward, right? It's hard to talk about the gospel, right? Because we feel about that small. We feel like we don't fit in. We feel like, man, Lord, the way our culture is right now and, and the political correctness or whatever, man. It's getting harder and harder to talk about you, Lord, and, and what really matters, right? They know that. Not all of them. But the devil does. And the ones who set themselves in opposition to the gospel do, just like we read last week, right? Or the last time I preached, the enemies of the gospel, right? But not you and I, brothers and sisters. We've got to hold the line. We've got to continue to glorify our Lord we got to continue to be the last people standing, if you will. Even when Christmas, the way you and I celebrate it, is ancient or old fogey or, you know, just flat out boring and nobody does it. Nonsense. Nonsense. This is what Christmas is all about. Do you know Jesus? Have you been set free from your sins? That's what he's come into the world for. Okay? Let's turn to the prophecy fulfilled. Matthew chapter 1. And I'll conclude here. And if I, if I can ask you guys to do a favor and stand for me as we read this, please, <clears throat> in honor of God. 
All right? This is the Christmas story. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to read the lineage of Christ or the genealogy, but you can read that on, on your own time sometime, and it's exact with uh, what we read in, in Genesis and all the other genealogies that, that uh, mark out uh, Jesus' lineage. Um, verse 18 is where we're going to start. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. Hear that? Joseph, son of who? Tracing the lineage. Okay? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And here it is, brothers and sisters, this glorious prophecy. And she, will be for, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now listen, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their what? You hear that? That's a proclamation, brothers and sisters. What he's saying is, this is going to be done. You understand that? God has decreed it from the beginning, Genesis. And I'm commanding you, Joseph, to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people, all those who trust in him, all those who put their faith in him, from their sins. And nothing's going to stop that. Do you understand? That's why he was called who? Jesus the anointed one, Christ, the one handpicked by God to destroy the work of the devil. Let's continue. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. There's the prophecy saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. He called his name Jesus. Why, brothers and sisters? Because he will save his people from their sins. End of story, right? Here's the hope. Here's the hope for us. Here's what's at stake. See, if we lose this meaning, this is the meaning of Christmas right here. The fact that Jesus Christ came into the world specifically, specifically to save his people from their sins. If you don't proclaim that, then you're, you don't understand Christmas. You understand? If you don't talk about sin, if you don't talk about why people have to be saved from sin, if you don't talk about the only Savior from sin, not yourself, but the sacrifice, then you don't understand the meaning of Christmas. Get it? It's not about a baby in a manger. It's definitely not about Santa Claus and Rudolph, right? Okay? It's not about, you know, we, we, we do good works during the season, right? It's not about feeding the poor and needy, although that's a good thing, and we should be doing that as Christians, but for the point of doing what, brothers and sisters? Sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's come into the world to save you and I from our sins. And God, from before the foundations of the world, had already predetermined that, and he's decreed it to where it's going to happen. And we've seen the fulfillment of it, brothers and sisters. Isn't that glorious? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. He's been prophesied for so long. He has come. Right? He's here. He's did it. Now, you know what you and I need to do? 
Proclaim this from the housetops, right? Don't be ashamed, brothers and sisters. Live this out. Get over your awkwardness. Have some dignity. And talk, the good talk, and the right talk. And glorify your Savior because of what he's done for you. And if you, you, you say, but I struggle, well, go out to him. Talk to him. Ask him, Lord, this Christmas, I want to glorify your name and help me to be committed to speaking about Jesus and how he is the only Savior of sinners so that everybody around me knows this about me and that they can have hope because one day, one day, it's appointed on all men once to die. And then after that, guess what? It's the judgment. And all of you, all of us are going to have to stand before God, and, he's, and we're going to have to give an account for what we did in this life. And you better not stand before God without Jesus. Amen? He is the reason for the season, isn't he? Now, let me conclude, because I told you, if anybody's an unbeliever here, I have an application for you, right? And I would be amiss, right, if I talked all this talk and I didn't invite you to come to Jesus, right? Well, how do you do that? Simply by calling upon his name. Today, tomorrow, the next day, go to Jesus and ask him to save you from your sins and commit to following him all of your days, and he will save you. He promised, whosoever calls upon my name will be saved. There's your hope. There's your gift. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this hope. We pray that we would celebrate it today, Lord, because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God for his, his word, amen. God is good. This is the reason he's woken us up this morning to, to worship him and praise him. We